Uh, I um, am so happy to be with you today. Uh, uh, last year, when I spoke, a, a bunch of you said, well, didn't you bring any of your books with you? And I actually did not. And so I, I conned my husband. He gets extra points today because he's back there um, with actually the only book I have left. Right now, I have several books that have like entirely sold out. So um, my Catch of the Wind of the Spirit is gone, and I keep getting orders because they're using it in a lot of our Bible colleges and universities and stuff for the AG, so that is exciting. And so I finally decided um, just a few months ago that I would totally, um, I, not totally, but I would do some revisions on it and totally get it reprinted. Right. So it, I was hoping that it would be here today, and it's, it's not. They're still making the cover, <laughs> so um, still making decisions on some things. But probably within the next six weeks or so, uh, it it will be out. Um, so it'll be on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Target and Walgreens and um, all regular stuff. So if you want it, it's still called Catch the Wind of the Spirit, and it's on the fivefold ministry. And actually, um, you know, I I test things out on you guys in here in Minnesota. <laughs> I, I, you probably don't know that, but you're my test group. Um, a lot of you are here every single time I speak, and I'm humbled and honored that you would even think of doing that. Um, but I, I tested out on you on the fivefold, and then I wrote, and um, I kept getting questions from you, and also did presentations on the apostolic and prophetic, and that's back there. The book um, is back there and got published with uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph Girdler, who is the superintendent in uh, Kentucky. And now I am working on a new book. Actually, I don't know what it's going to be titled, but it is on leading Pentecostally. So you're my test group again today. <laughs> and um, thank you for, for letting, letting me try things out on you and see how it comes across to you. And, um, I always learn and grow uh, through those opportunities. I am excited about this topic. Uh, I teach in the doctoral uh, doctor of ministry program at AGTS on a regular basis, and I always teach, uh, I teach some extra things, but I always teach the core one class, which is the first class that all the doctoral students take, and it's on the spiritual development of uh, the pastor. But we always look at what uh, Pentecostal leadership should look like as opposed to leadership in the world. And I think this is an important question for all of us because I think that our leadership um, as Pentecostals ought to look different from the world and even from other people who aren't Pentecostals. I think being led by the Spirit, we should have a different model. And I have usually don't even hear this talked about, and I don't think we think about it enough. But my goal today is to actually think through, uh, and I, of course, it's not going to be my book. I don't have time. I only have an hour with you. But um, I'm just going to at least start to broach the topic and think, what does, what should uh, spirit-filled believers like ourselves, what should leadership look like as opposed to other kinds of worldly models of leadership. I think that we have uh, done ourselves a disservice in the sense that we often pick up um, worldly books on leadership. You know, we tend, to, uh, it's not that they're all bad or anything, I'm not saying we should never read any of that, but it's not the end all for what leadership should look like because I do believe that we are supposed to be looking in a different direction. So I, I would like us to start by looking, thinking about discipleship. This is in the discipleship track. And um, I was pondering that word and discipleship literally, actually, if you look up the meaning, it means being a follower or a student of a teacher. So a disciple was a follower of Jesus. Um, Jesus' disciples were students of his. He was called teacher all of the time. And they were there to learn from him. They were there to listen to what he had to say. They were following him. And I got to thinking, you know, are we really 
um, following Jesus? Are we paying attention in such a strong way that we are uh, following along with what it is that he wants us to do? And are we really listening to the Spirit? Because I believe that's part of being a student of a teacher. I mean, after all, if, you, if you're a student and you don't listen to your teacher, <laughs> you, you've got a problem, right? And so we, we have to keep learning how to listen and how to really follow Jesus. Um, we actually do want to help people grow so they can be leaders in our churches. I mean, that's part of what discipleship is all about. You hope you're going to take them from uh, making an initial decision to Christ to growing into the kind of people who can actually lead. But in order to be a true Christian Pentecostal leader, we must first learn to be a follower, and then we must maintain that stance. Now, I actually uh, think that it's, maybe we should do away with leadership lingo. Um, you know, G Jesus never called himself a leader, and nobody ever called him a leader either. I mean, just think about that. This is uh, our present day perspective of what's great. You know, oh, I'm a leader. Uh, but actually, Jesus wanted people to follow him. And so our most important question of people who have any kind of quote-unquote leadership perspective in our churches ought to be, are you following Jesus? <laughs> because if you're not following Jesus, I really don't want you to lead anything. Um, we're going to go in a wrong direction. We're going to go in your own direction. You know, I, I want, I, we, we should want and require people who are really being followers. So prove to me you're following. I mean, I want to watch that. I want to see it. I want to I see it come alive. Um, and once we are following, we have to keep following. And that's not necessarily easy either. I mean, the main maintenance of that perspective is not simple. It, it really requires that we keep working at it over and over again, and we keep saying, am I following? Am I following? Am I following? Or am I running off on my own? Am I doing my own thing? Am I doing what looks good and efficient at this time, rather than to really be listening and hearing and following what Jesus is telling me to do? And a lot of our problems would be solved in the churches if, in essence, everybody was following Jesus. Because if everybody was following Jesus, you have unity. If everybody was following Jesus and listening to what he was saying, you'd all be going in the same direction. It's when you've got, the name comes to mind, wingbats. I don't know if that's a good name. but <laughs> <laughs> Flying away on their own, you know. I mean, just going off in their own direction and then saying, follow me, follow me. No, I, I mean, we all have to get together and pray and seek God and listen to him and follow in unity with what Jesus tells us to do. I found a sweat t-shirt and it says on the front, I am a leader, not a follower, unless it's a dark place and then you're going first. <laughs> And, and I think there's something to that, you know? I mean, it, it's, it's like, oh, I'm the big leader and everything, but when I don't want to go, when it's not good, you go. Well, you know, that is not Pentecostal leadership. That is, has nothing to do with Pentecostal leadership. It's not how Jesus acted. Jesus was willing to give his life. And uh, anyone who um, won't lay down his life for the sheep should not be a leader. It's basically, no, you're the leader, you go first. <laughs> um, because you want to protect the sheep. You don't want the sheep to get eaten up and messed up, and then you go, because it's safe for you. That's ridiculous. I mean, true leaders go into the darkest places first. And that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, he went into hell. He, he took our sin upon us. He went into the darkest place that any of us can imagine. And he did it for us because he loved us and he wanted to keep us as safe as possible. So effective discipleship provides 
knowledge, skills, and attitudes that form the person into being like their teacher, Jesus. He was humble. He didn't lord it over others. He kept asking what God wanted. I mean, over and over, he would go back and say, God, what do you want? And he kept, um, he didn't think he could accomplish what the Son of God was supposed to without the direction of the Father and the working of the Holy Spirit. He just, you know, in the Gospel of John, it just keeps saying over and over, this is almost a life verse for me, but over and over, Jesus said things like, um, I only do what my Father tells me to do, I only speak what my Father tells me to speak, and I don't do anything on my own initiative. You just check it out sometime. I mean, just read through the Gospel of John to find those three statements or something like those statements. You'll find them over and over and over. In fact, one day I'm just reading happily through John and I thought, it's all over the place. Jesus roped himself into the Father. I mean, he totally followed the Father. He said, I'm not going to do anything unless I see the Father doing it. I'm not even going to say anything unless I, I hear the Father saying it. And if he roped himself in like that, we should too as followers. We should say, I'm not going to go off on my own. I'm not going to try this thing unless I'm hearing from God, unless I see him doing these things, and then I will do it. And Jesus himself was so profoundly into this tying in of himself to what God was telling him to do, what God wanted him to do. And as Pentecostal leaders, we should be the same way. We should be the ones who are listening and saying, I'm not going to go for that unless I hear it from the Father. I'm going to follow him and not go off on this fad or that thing or this strategy that man makes up. I'm going to follow Jesus. I believe we need to understand God's ideal leadership and not the human idea of what it is. In human leadership from the world's perspective, it actually is looking, can I go higher? You know, can I climb the ladder? Can I get the new position or the better title? This is not God's perspective whatsoever. It is not God's ideal of leadership. So I would like us to consider what is successful, a successful leader anyway. A business may see it as monetary increase for the stockholders and board. You know, we're making money, things are looking pretty good around here. Um, they may also, in the world's perspective, they may see it as numerical. That is like the amount of product that's coming off the assembly line or the number of people who are being served or the amount of sales. So if we look at numbers, um, you know, that's, that's a worldly perspective, really. Do we even in the church possibly see success as numerical? You know, well, we're growing, so it all must be fine. Is it? I mean, are we really following Jesus just, before, just because we're growing? Uh, I would like to say that even the Dalai Lama can draw a crowd. So, you know, if we look at how many members do we have, what's the attendance, how many programs do we have going, this is not my perspective anyway, from a Christian point of view, of, of leadership, of success in leadership. It's a worldly perspective, and it doesn't prove anything. I believe that we need to sit down together, and when somebody says, how's your church going, and whatever, we don't spout numbers we look at what is really changing in people, what is really going on. Um, it, it's, it's not just heads, it's what's happening inside of the people that really, really makes the difference from a Christian perspective. So you see there's an actual shift in our way of looking when we think about Christian leadership. We have to make a, a, a real change. Are the numbers a fair measure of success? If we are not doing better in comparison, if we are doing better in comparison with others, is that success? And I would say no, not necessarily. I mean, you could be big and you could have small, but 
who cares what is happening, like I said, inside of the people? So as I pondered this more, what came to my mind was Matthew 25, 23, which where it says, um, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know the context and everything like that. So God is saying, you know, you, the guy comes into heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, that is an interesting Christian perspective, I think, of what is success. It's God's point of view regarding success. And what is he going to say? What does he say to us when he says, well done? He's saying, you followed me. You did what I wanted you to do. You listened to me. You accomplished what I gave you to do. And I'm, congratulations. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's explore that good and faithful part. It's not related to doing more than anybody else. I mean, Jesus isn't saying, come on in, you worked yourself to death, and so I'm really proud of you, come on in. Um, <laughs> it's not working longer hours or accomplishing more. But it's staying faithful to what God has given you as a person to do. And it's different for each one of us. So I can't say, you're not doing what I'm doing, so I'm more successful as you, than you are, or I'm doing more than you. No, the question is, are you doing what God has told you to do? He has given you certain gifts. He has given you a certain place in the church. You have certain things you are called out to do. Are you doing those? And it doesn't matter how that compares to anybody else, whether it's big or small or anything else. It's what he tells you to do. And you know, frankly, I think some of us are so busy just running around doing things God hasn't called us to do that we don't even do what he's telling us to do. We miss the people we're supposed to talk to. We miss the miracles that are supposed to happen. We miss the particular things that God has for us. And I think the whole church would change if the whole church said, I just want to be the good and faithful servant doing what God has called me to do. I don't want to compare myself to anybody else. I don't want to think I'm more successful than anyone else or less successful. I just want to do. I want to accomplish what God has given to me personally to do. Your own talents and skills are so important. And I think about the parable of the context, um, parable of talents context. You know, we all have certain amounts that we've been given, and we're not all the same. And, and it's the way it's supposed to be. But we are supposed to be faithful to what we have. The servant, the good and faithful servant, does what the master wants. We follow the leading of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And as Pentecostals, this is so absolutely critical. I mean, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that amazing? And, and so the Spirit speaks to us. You know, um, slow down, stop here. Talk to that person. Do this thing today. This is how God really wants us to live. And it's so beautiful. And it's so peaceful. If we don't run around like chickens with our head cut off. <laughs> the faithful servant also is, just keeps on. It, it keeps on keeping on. <laughs> Um, I think about Noah building the ark, and in spite of how long it took and how hard materials were to find and how much people laughed, Noah just kept going. He just kept pounding. It was like, okay, uh, you know, whatever, we're building this boat. And, 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 you know, that's what God told him to do. And everybody might have thought he was crazy, but he was doing what God was telling him to do. Or I think of another example as the people who were rebuilding the walls with Nehemiah. They each did their part. They each had their section. They were required to pay attention to who might be trying to, to get them to stop um, the hecklers. 
etc. They just had to keep building. Whenever we are faithful like that, God advances the church. I believe that the CEO mentality of leadership is drastically different than the faithful um, servant model. When we look at the CEO model, um, it's the big guy who's responsible for everything. You know, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to take care of these things. Um, you know, it, it's the success of the numbers, I'm adding the programs, I'm that I call a CEO model of the church. But you know, it's, we're not the world. <laughs> we have pastors, teachers, we have apostles and prophets, we have um, evangelists, we have, we're different in how we handle things. We don't have CEOs, we have teams working together to accomplish the things that they've been called to do. So I may not be an evangelist, but by the way, I win people to the Lord, but that doesn't make me an evangelist. An evangelist has a special gifting. I don't have that gifting, but I have other giftings. I think I have a gifting of teaching. So I'll do my best at teaching, but you know, boy, I need a pastor. I need somebody who cares for me, pays attention to me, knows that I'm doing okay spiritually. I really need that. Each one of those offices has a role and does their part. And they're faithful to being a servant in what God has called them to do. They're humble. I believe that um, what, there's a lot that happens when we keep following faithfully. Jesus says, I'll send the Spirit to accomplish what you can't by yourself. And I think that is so amazing. I, I think that in essence, and by the way, I'm, I'm just, that is not a quote from scripture, so uh, <laughs> I should, but, but that's the kind of thing he's saying to us. I, I'm going to send the Spirit, and there are certain things that you can't do that I've asked you to do, but I'm going to be there to help you accomplish what I've asked you to do. Oh man, do we need the Spirit. And the CEO doesn't think of the spirit. The CEO sets out to do it all by himself or herself. Whereas, as the faithful servant, we go, God, wow, that's a big thing you've given me to do. I don't know if I can do it or not, but I trust the spirit inside of me. I, I trust the spirit to fill in, to do what I can't do to make it possible that this actually happens, the things you've called me to do. And there's a humility in that. There was a book I read once by Richard Owen Roberts called Revival, and it's a really good revival book, by the way. And it says, the marvel of Pentecost is not the extraordinary nature of men or their methods, but the Holy Spirit and the results he produced. So we look at the book of Acts, and you know what is amazing about Pentecost and then the book of Acts is that it wasn't what all those early disciples accomplished. I mean, we can't look at them and say, wow, I mean, people were being healed, all of this fantastic stuff was going on, there were, there were people being saved, you know, a thousand at a time, and weren't those people amazing? I, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't them. It was the Spirit. It was a Spirit within them, enabling them, accompanying them, making it possible that those things could be done to establish the early church. And so we have to see that as faithful servants, we don't have to like put in more effort or get down on ourselves when we can't accomplish something that we think should be done. You know, all we need to do so simple. Follow Jesus. Trust the Spirit. Let the Spirit do and accomplish what we cannot do. I look at what God asks the faithful servants to accomplish, and you know, the main thing that he asks us to do is the following. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do. 
that's our bottom line. <laughs> Everything that we do is for that. And, and you know, if that's not happening, then there's something wrong with what's going on in the church. The church should be growing. People should be growing. There should be something happening. They should be becoming disciples. I look at what I think is a trend in the church right now. Listen carefully because I don't want to be misquoted. <laughs> I believe that I have actually heard people say, just come to Jesus, it's super easy. And I want to tell you it is not super easy. Coming to Jesus is not super easy. Jesus never said it was going to be super easy. He said, lay down your cross and follow me. He expects a reversal from going after sin and following the world, a reversal of that. We're supposed to lay down our sin. And I think that what has happened in some places in the church today in general, not just referring to the Assemblies of God, but just in general, I think one of the problems is that we have had what I'm going to call easy salvations or superficial salvations. They're not deep, they're not real. We say, well, just, just come on up and say a prayer, and then you're a disciple. We've got people like that sitting in our congregations who don't care to lay down their lives. They haven't really made a change. They've come in, they've said a prayer. They might even be in the pews sometimes, but when they only feel like it. And we ask them to do something, and they don't want to. I think that part of the reason is that there's been places where the Spirit has not done the deep work of salvation, a sense of real repentance, of I am bogged down in sin, and I've got a, I need a Savior. I, I need somebody to come in and help me change. That is real salvation. And the Holy Spirit in those cases, does a deep work of change in people's lives. But if that deep work has not been done, then we've got people sitting in our pews who are maybe, I don't know what to call it, half saved, superficially saved, saved? I, I have no idea what to call it. I guess that's up to God and them. But you know, we have to deepen the meaning of salvation. And discipleship has to start there because they're not going to follow Jesus through thick and thin if they haven't made a real personal change in their lives. So I think we need to preach. I, I think we have to get back sometimes to preaching sin. I, maybe we don't use, I don't know. I don't know how we do it in this day and age. I guess we follow Jesus and figure it out. But I think they have to be bogged down in sensing, I got to have something different. And then the Holy Spirit, oh, the blessed Holy Spirit, when there is a real change in a person's life, oh, that is amazing to see and it's amazing to watch what follows. And those are the kinds of disciples we need to make. And I want to say something here, too. This verse, look at it again. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism, I mean, uh, there's been a real change, so they're going to make a public profession of that change. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. He didn't say, I want you to go and make converts. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. You take them all the way through. They have real salvation. You take them all the way through to growth, all the way through. That's discipleship. So he's saying here again, go and make disciples. 
of all nations, by the way, not just people who look at, uh, like us, all nations need to participate. Everybody, every socioeconomic group, every gender, every everything, everybody. And baptize them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Think about that. Do we even start to do that? Do we teach them everything Jesus commanded? I mean, are, are, are we teaching? <laughs> are, we, are we loading up the people with enough information so they'll be discipled and do what they're supposed to do? I believe that we have to beef up our teaching. We have to beef up our discipleship. In some places, we're looking at discipleship as, well, we have small groups, but they're mainly social. Where is the real, hardcore, ongoing discipleship happening? Every church needs to ask that because our charge was to go and make disciples. So we have to keep looking at it over and over. And I wonder if we measure what we value. Programming is sometimes measured according to whether it happens in its attendance. Like I'll say to somebody, are you discipling? Yeah, well, we've got small groups and we do Wednesday nights with the kids. No, that's not what I asked. I didn't ask what programs you have that are supposed to accomplish these things. I asked, did you actually do the discipling? How have they grown? How have the people changed? Are they getting the information they need? So we need to think about what the results are from the programming that we say we're doing. It's not enough to just say we have the programming. If we say small groups are the way we do discipleship, exactly how effective are they in developing devoted disciples of Jesus? And frankly, I wonder why we've done away in a lot of places with Sunday school. I am not saying we have to bring exactly Sunday school back, but if we don't, where is the teaching? Like, just tell me where are the people getting the teaching, and then we're not getting it, and then we say, why is it that nobody knows the Bible today? Preach it, sister. I am getting a little overdone, aren't I? But Yeah. that we're striving for with discipleship is duplication of yourself, <coughs> of, of following, following, being a good enough example for someone to follow and making a discipler out of someone who's been discipled. Yeah, well, I, I think that in the end, our end goal, and this is something important for us to figure out too, like what do we mean when we say a mature person? Um, I, I think it, it's becoming like the teacher. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, exactly. So I, I, I really feel like our end goal is, like, do we have many Jesuses running around? <laughs> I mean, it's his body, and, and we're the church. We're at work here in the world, and so are we, are we like like our master. <laughs> and, and that to me would be proof, like, am I seeing Jesus in you? <laughs> yeah, well, if I am, something's changed, <laughs> you know, in you. You've grown, you've become the kind of person you should be. So I am going to go into kind of a new section, but follow along with me, okay, because I'm not entirely shifting here, but I am a little bit, so just keep going with me. I think the real question is, is God's kingdom advancing because of what we are doing? See, Jesus, in fact, did want to see the kingdom of God advance, right? So we should too. I mean, it's not, am I happy in this church every time I go? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're really weird right now in what we're measuring as, oh, somebody complained. Well, f no, is the kingdom advancing? Can we literally say 
that what we're doing in the church is advancing the kingdom because Jesus cared about it all the time. He wanted God's kingdom to advance on earth. It's in his Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and, and over and over, there's things that he's saying that keep talking about the kingdom of God. So follow along with me. This may be slightly complicated. So I, first time I've presented this in public, we'll see how this goes, all right? You can tell me whether you liked it or not. Matthew 11, 12 to 14. I'm sorry if you can't read this, but let me just um, read it to you. When John, who was in prison, I just want, I want you to get the context, okay? And then I'm going to take it apart. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, that was John the Baptist, by the way, to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the cloud, crowd about John. What do you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? I think he's being a little sarcastic here, by the way. <laughs> if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Well, we know how John dressed. I mean, he was picking insects out of his teeth, so. <laughs> no, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Okay, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you, which is a direct quote from Malachi, which I'll talk about in a minute. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. What in the world does that mean? I'll come to that. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus had an interesting situation. I'm not sure I understand, and I, I don't know as I ever can understand, exactly why John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah. I mean, after all, he baptized him, and I believe that he said, this is the one. So was he having doubts? I don't know. I mean, I'm not in his brain. I, I don't know. Or was he wondering because maybe he had a different idea of what the Messiah was going to be and thought he would be more political um, than he really was, that the kingdom, you know, the Jewish kingdom would be built up and that kind of thing. And, and Jesus answers kind of in that direction by saying, you know, I'm doing miracles. I mean, this was prophesied about me. Don't get mixed up here. <laughs> You know, it, it, the power of God is on me to do these things that I'm doing. The sight are see, the the people are the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, leprosy is being cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is being proclaimed to the poor. That's all in prophesied in the Old Testament as being who the Messiah was going to be. So basically, he's saying yes to John. I I'll quote this. I am the one, but. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. Now, I wonder if um, John's disciples heard this. They might have. They might have stopped since Jesus was still speaking. But Jesus says something directly to the crowd. And he's saying, what were you expecting from, from John? I mean, you went out to see him. So weren't you drawn to him? Weren't you expecting the prophet? Now, one of the things, one of the mistakes we make in looking at scripture is that we don't put ourselves in the shoes of the people of that day. 
And so we look at it from our own viewpoint. And if we don't know enough about how people were thinking at that particular time, we interpret the, what was said incorrectly. And I think that's possible, actually, to have been happening here. Because they all had sort of an interpretation of what they expected the Messiah to be. And some of them weren't ready to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus is going straight at it right here. And one of the things that would have happened is that the people who were listening to Jesus in this, in this context would have entirely understood the reference to Malachi. If he said that John the Baptist was Elijah, the scriptures tell us that Elijah was going to come before the Messiah came. So he was as much as saying to them, I'm the Messiah. If you will have it, he just talked about John, but he said John is Elijah, which means that he was the Messiah, right? I mean, so he's painting it for them right there. He's making it very clear to them. Let's look at those verses. Malachi 3.1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before them. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So they knew that the messenger was Elijah. In fact, in Malachi, same book of the Bible of the Old Testament, Malachi the prophet again says, and 4, 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So he's saying you can expect the, you can expect John, you can expect the, uh, the spirit of Elijah, Elijah to be here. And that's why Jesus said, if you will have it, John the, John the Baptist is Elijah. Okay. And their minds would have gone directly to Malachi because they knew scripture better than we do. So, um, <laughs> probably. I mean, really, they did. They were drilled in it. So, they would go to Malachi. Those verses would come to mind. If he's Elijah, this is the Messiah. Now, Matthew 11.11 says, Truly I tell you, from among those born of women... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the first verse of what I read the whole context with. Okay, you with me? I'm going to take it verse by verse. So he says, John is great. I mean, John is preparing the way for the Messiah. John is here. John is amazing. And he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse has never been really clear to me. I have gone over that verse before. I've tried to figure it out. I, do not, I did not get that verse. So, I don't like verses I can't get. <laughs> and so... What I did was I started a, a real research on this. I, there's got to be, that's in there for some reason in that context, and I'm not getting it, and I want to get it. So what, what about this? Well, what would have happened is that the people at that time would have gone back to some other verses. And... Um, there is interesting uh, interlinear Greek for this verse. I, I want to start there. I mean, I start with the Greek, okay? So I'm, I'm going to go to that next. If you translate it, it's a little jerky, but if you just take each word and translate it out, okay, all by itself without changing the order to English, it comes out like this. From then, the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of the heavens is taken by violence, and the ones who explode claim it. Okay, the, the violence isn't such a good translation according to our meaning. The Greek for violence actually means explosion, 
Okay, so it's like, I can see where they got the violent part of it because it's like it explodes and it's like a violence. Do you know what I mean? Like, whoa. But the actual word is closer to an explosion. So it says the heavens is taken by explosion. And the ones who explode, and now you're going, I still don't get it. That's all right. Claim it. All right. They're, they're going to claim that kingdom of heaven. So what is he talking about? Matthew, let's go back to Matthew 11, or 11, 13 to 14. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so he is now explaining all of this, and all of the people would have been thinking about Micah 12. They knew this verse. We probably wouldn't even think of this verse, but they knew it. It was in the Midrash. The Midrash was the interpretation of the scripture at that time. And here's what these verses say, and this will explain all of our problems. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture, the place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. And that was alluding to John. Everybody would have gone to John the Baptist. They didn't know John. They would have alluded to Elijah, okay? The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king, the Messiah, will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. So Micah is prophesying the coming of John the Baptist to break the way open for the Messiah to come and then for the Messiah, the king, to come. Let's take each of these one at a time. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. What they would do is every night the shepherds would bring all the, gather all the sheep in and put them most often in a cave. Um, sometimes a corral, but sometimes they didn't even have a corral around and they would move the pastures. So lots of times it would just be a cave. And they would bring them all together. I think of this as the church today. I mean, if I'm thinking about how this applies to us, I think, okay, the sheep are together in the church. The real sheep, the ones who have been saved are together in the church. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. So the church is going to be all together in this one place. This is an example of a sheep pen back at that time. Um, it, they would put them into the, shade, into the cave, and do you see that there's a rock wall all the way along there? But the wall would have been built up clear across with more stones. And so you'd take the stones out, you'd put all the sheep in, you'd leave them in there overnight, and in the morning, the one, the prophecy is saying there's going to be someone who comes and breaks a gate, who breaks open the way for the sheep to come out in the morning, and they're going to be hungry because they've been in there all night, they've, they're going to be thirsty, and they are going to, what, explode out of the gate. They are going to like, I want to be first out of here. <laughs> you know, let me go, let me go. I, I, need, I need food, I need water. And they're on top of each other and they're all trying to get out of the cave and explode through the cave entrance there. And that has been broken down. It says they will break through the gate and go out. So that breakthrough idea is like the sheep, again, exploding. Peretz is the Hebrew word for this. And it is akin to that same word of explosion in Matthew. Okay, they're, they're alike. And he's saying, John the Baptist is going to come, break down the gate, and the sheep are going to break through. They're going to break out. Peretz, they're going to explode out. 
The one who makes the breach will break through the, or Peretz, break through the gate, and the sheep will explode out. Forceful, it's, a, it's an idea of force. That's where you get that violence translation. They'll explode through, they'll burst out. It's akin to, also, to dunamis, which is the Greek root word for dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. And it says their king will be right there. When the sheep explode out of the gate, the king will be there, will pass through before them, and he is going to lead them. He is going to be at their head. It's an amazing picture, isn't it, to just think of Jesus then. The way has been broken by John the Baptist. Jesus is saying to them, I am the Messiah. And he is basically saying, I'm going to lead my sheep out. And here's another picture of, of the, you know, the large strides of, of the shepherd kind of going out before the sheep. They're wanting to eat. Another picture of a whole group of sheep being led out by their chapter, by their um, king. So, what is the difference between leadership in the world and Pentecostal leaders? As Pentecostal leaders, we follow Christ. We listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must fill us every single day. And I want to say to you that this picture of Jesus leading out the sheep has taken a hold of my inner being. <laughs> I think for a long time, we as the church have been sitting around kind of waiting for something to happen. And I believe that this has really been the case during and just post-COVID. It's like we sort of hunkered down. We lost some energy. <laughs> and in Matthew, Jesus is basically saying from the beginning when John was here and broke down the gate, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing. The kingdom of heaven has been exploding. And one day I'm sitting in front of a group of international pastors in Arizona one night. I had been preaching, and they were having an altar time. And I had a vision. I will never forget this vision. It's one of those that is very, very, very meaningful. And I had a picture of, and I had just been studying this, I had a picture of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he was just in white robes, his white robes, and the robes were like trailing out behind him. He was taking such large strides so fast that his robes were just like swinging out in the wind. It was like he was just pacing out and, and he was advancing before the sheep. The sheep had come exploding out and, and that happened, the kingdom of God started with Jesus coming to the earth but I felt like Jesus said in my heart, it is advancing. My kingdom is advancing. It continues to advance. Don't like hunker down and wonder when it's going to happen. Like let it advance. Get excited, I felt like he said to me, because it's, I, I am like pacing right now. I am like going, I am going fast. I am expecting my sheep to follow. They are going to follow the king. And the advancement of the kingdom of God right now, I felt he said to me, is going to be huge. Friends, we have to get worked up a little more. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, I felt. It was almost like, like wake up. <laughs> wake up out of the doldrums. Wait up, wake up and, and quit just kind of like waiting and seeing what's going to happen. I'm not sure. We'll see. Get rid of that because the kingdom of God has been advancing. And you know what? It's going to continue to advance. It's going to be huge. It's going to explode. It is still exploding the idea of holding on to the kingdom of God and following the shepherd. 
And so, again, as Pentecostal leaders who want to follow the Spirit, we follow that king who is like on his way with his kingdom advancing. We listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to fill us every single day so we get charged up enough to have the energy to do what he's required to do so that he is able to accomplish through the power of God what it is that he wants us to accomplish. The kingdom is ready to advance. It always has been advancing, but it's going to advance even more in the near future. I sense it so strongly. I feel like we are about on revival time, and I believe we are in a time when God just wants to move in, in amazing ways. Are we ready to go with him? And I believe that what he wants us to do right now is it means we have to pray. We have to spend time in his word. We have to listen to what he's saying because otherwise we're not going to be following the king. We're going to be off here following, doing this program and that thing and this thing that we dream up. I'm tired of man-made strategies. I want God's strategies. I want God's way of doing things. I want to see him advance in the way that he wants to advance, and I want him to use me. And I believe that we have to um, get rid of all of those things that are hindering us from hearing what he wants us to do. We have to pray in tongues. I mean, I'm Pentecostal. I pray in tongues a lot. I can be talking to somebody and praying to tongues under my breath. You know, I, I, I want the spirit to move. I want the God's wisdom. I want him to tell me what I should say. I'm a tongue-speaking person. I didn't do it just once when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe we have to stay focused on God, focused on the King, and not get our eyes off on other kinds of things that are making no difference. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need to expect the power of God to explode in our lives. If we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we have this power that was promised. This is what Jesus said. You're going to get this power. Do we have that power? Do we act like we have that power? I believe that we are meant to move forward in amazing ways and to expect the power of the Spirit to do a work through us that we have never seen or can even imagine. I want to tell you that that idea of having the power of God in us is all the way through, through the New Testament. I mean, I just put a few here. I don't even know if you can read this, but let me just mention them. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing, what? Power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, we may feel weak right now after everything that we've been going through, but we are not. We might be ourselves, but we are not because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1, 7, For the Spirit of God gave us not, gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Pentecostal leadership doesn't have much to do with us. And it has everything to do with the power of the Spirit. 
It is impossible to accomplish what God has called us to do by ourselves. We are not following a worldly model. Jesus never expected us to, and that is why he sent the Spirit to live in us. If we want our churches to grow and thrive, we've got to stay filled with the Spirit. It is while we stay filled with the Spirit that God will do all that he wants to do in this day and age. I am so excited about living right now. And I think we all as a church need to rise up and get more excited than we ever have been. God's kingdom has advanced and it is advancing. It will advance. We will, I believe, see strides that we have never seen in the church before if we follow Jesus.